morning. Welcome to Preston Hollow Presbyterian Church to our 11 a.m. hour of worship. It is a joy to be in worship with you all this morning. I want to extend a special word of welcome to those who join us through our live streaming service, as well as those tuning in through WRR. If you are visiting with us, an especially warm welcome to you, and I want to invite you to fellowship with us in the atrium after worship. If you go to the counter, there's a special treat waiting just for you. Whether you are new or old among us, we are so excited that you're here on this music ministry Sunday. You'll notice that we have an incredible music ministry here that we are blessed with, and we give so much thanks for their offerings this morning. There are many ways that we hope that you are connecting with God this morning and with one another. I want to invite you into just a few small practices that we have here. At the end of your pew, there is a friendship registry pad. This is a place where you can note your attendance and pass those along your row and learn the names of those who are sitting around you so we can continue to grow as a family of faith. In the pews in front of you, there is a two-sided card. One side is a connect card. This is a place where you can let us know how you want to connect more deeply in this family of faith, whether it's through service, a Sunday school class, or a small group. You can use that card to let us know. And the other side is a prayer card. As one of your pastors, it is a privilege to pray with and for you throughout this week. So if you have a prayer of joy or concern for yourself or someone you love, please share those with us so we can hold you in prayer and you can put those in the offering plates as they come through later in the service. Friends, in your bulletin, you'll find more information about our service and events this week. I want to highlight a very special event later after this worship service. We have a luncheon planned in Jubilee Hall and, and a very special guest who is joining us from Austin Presbyterian Theological Seminary, one of my old professors, the Reverend Dr. Gregory Cuellar, who is an associate professor of Old Testament. And he is here to share with us not only his wisdom from studying our, our holy text, but also the wisdom he's gleaned from serving families and children along the border. I've learned so much from Dr. Cuellar. He has expanded and challenged and inspired the way I use our sacred text in the lives and the stories that we hear today and the people around us, especially those who are suffering along the border. So join us for lunch. Lunch is provided. It is only $10, and I promise you, you will walk away having learned a lot more this afternoon. Finally, I want to highlight for us that we are almost done with our commit season this fall. Every fall, we ask you to make your financial commitments to the church, which makes our budget and our ministry programs throughout the year possible. And this morning, we have a family that we want to invite up, Randy and Katie Scadham. And I want to invite my colleague, Mark, um, to help us have a moment for commit this morning. Thank you, guys. It is great to have Randy and Katie before us this morning. And thank you all for your willingness to share with us uh, as we gather together. Would you tell us... Uh, how it is that you came to be a part of Preston Hollow uh, and how long you've been a part of the church. Sure. Uh, so I um, have been attending uh, Preston Hollow for a little over a decade and first came to the church when I moved to Dallas and my sister was already um, attending the church for probably 10 years before me. Um, similarly with Randy when he moved to Dallas um, found this to be his church home uh, and about 10 years ago we became members. Um, what do you value most about being a part of the church here? 
Sure, so uh, you know, some of our closest friends have come into our life uh, through our participation in the church. Uh, starting 10 years ago with our participation in the young adult ministry. And now as we have two young children, uh, we really treasure the friendship and the community that we have been able to form with other families of young children through our involvement in the children's ministries here at the church. Thank you for that. And why do you choose to give to Preston Hollow and make that one of your giving priorities? Yes, we, we choose to give because we both grew up in families that made giving to the church a priority. And for us, with our daughters, we want to make sure that we're demonstrating that same commitment. Uh, we are truly blessed uh, to have the blessings that we've received and to be able to give that back to a community and, and reinvest that um, in what the church is doing for Dallas and, and more broadly um, in the world. It's important for us to be able to demonstrate that. Uh, I think what's really important also that we've seen through our own involvement, be it through session or through uh, various committees on the church, is the importance just to make that commitment to help make that plan for the future and to help make that vision and mission for the church a reality. Randy, Katie, thank you again for your willingness to share with us this morning. Friends, the Scadams are but one example of those who share the pews with you. Each of us who gather in this place, no matter the service, no matter the day, we share the connection that we have being a part of Preston Hollow Presbyterian. This is the time of the year when we seek to uh, make a commitment so that we can share in ministry together. And so we appreciate uh, Randy and Katie giving us a little bit of their story, and hopefully this resonates with you as you contemplate how it is that you will participate in giving yourselves in the coming, uh, in the coming week.
Please join with me in our responsive call to worship. The abundance of God's steadfast love pours into our lives and flows out to cover the world. We gather together as God's beloved people, a sure sign of God's everlasting grace and mercy. With thanksgiving in our hearts and joy on our lips, let us sing praises to holy God. ourselves from the one who lovingly created us. Trusting in Christ's mercy, we speak truthfully about the ways we have not loved ourselves or loved others well. In doing so, we make the journey toward healing. So join with me as we confess our sins before a loving and gracious God. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, fill us with the breath of new life. For too long we have stopped dreaming dreams and seeing new visions, while you invite us each day to sing a new song. We resort to what is familiar, allowing inequities to grow, divisions to deepen, and Christ's love to be limited. Forgive our complacency, take away our cynicism, 
inspire us to join you in offering hope and healing to the world. Make our faith come alive once again. Amen. Friends, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So hear and believe the good news of the gospel. We are saved by grace through faith. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Amen. As God's forgiven and reconciled people, we turn and offer Christ's peace to one another. The peace of Christ be with you. You may turn and share Christ's peace with your neighbor. Let us pray. Shine in the darkness, O God, and shine in our hearts, so that by the power of your Holy Spirit we may grow in knowledge of your wisdom. Silence within us any voice but your own. Speak the word that you have for us today, and give us the courage to live it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
You all would think that would get easier to follow the second time around. <laughs> it's not. Y'all are a gift. Friends, our scripture passage for today comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 27, verses 1 through 11. This is the story of the daughters of Zelophehad, which is not a commonly told story, but I hope you enjoy it. Listen now for a word from the Lord. Then the daughters of Zelophehad came forward. Zelophehad was son of Hepher, son of Gilead, son of Machir, son of Manasseh, son of Joseph, a member of the Manasite clans. The names of his daughters were Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milcah, and Tirzah. They stood before Moses, Eleazar the priest, the leaders, and all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and they said, Our father died in the wilderness. He was among the company of Korah, but died for his own sin, and he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be taken away from his clan because he had no sons? Give to us a possession among our father's brothers. Moses brought their case before the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophehad are right in what they are saying. You shall indeed let them possess an inheritance among their father's brothers and pass the inheritance of their father on to them. You shall also say to the Israelites, If a man dies and has no sons, then you shall pass his inheritance on to his daughters. If he has no daughter then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to the nearest kinmen of his clan, and he shall possess it. It shall be for the Israelites a statute, an ordinance, as the Lord commanded Moses. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. So I have never been great at following sports. However, I have learned a thing or two from sports courtesy of my baseball-loving family. For example, thanks to sports, I have learned that truly terrible, unhealthy food like fake nacho cheese or dollared hot dogs, for some inexplicable reason, turn into desirable cuisine when at a baseball park. And I have learned that the old Rangers Stadium in July might actually be the hottest place on the planet Earth. And I have learned that the song, Take Me Out to the Ball Game, reminds me of my childhood, and it is nostalgic. But most importantly, I have learned over the years that there is a mentality in sports culture that says no matter what, rain or shine, winning or losing, you never give up on your team. Do you feel that way? <laughs> you never give up on your team. If they have a bad year, you hold out hope for the next year. 
If ye have a bad game, you say, well, there's always the next one. And if things start out rough, you remind yourself that miracles have happened in the last inning. The door is always open to the possibility of a win. Now, as a non-sports person, this mentality fascinates me. This resilient hopefulness fascinates me because by and large, we do not live the rest of our lives like that. Rarely do we find ourselves with a challenging situation where the odds are not in our favor and think to ourselves, it's just a matter of time before things change. No, I wish we were more like that, but it's hard. By and large, our world is fluent in pessimism and familiar with doubt. Most of us are quick to recognize how hard it is for things and people and situations to change. So oftentimes we assume that certain problems are too big for fixing, and when people tell us that our voice is not loud enough to make a difference, it's hard not to believe them. When faced with a challenge where the odds aren't in our favor, it is a whole lot easier to assume that that's just the way things are than it is to hold out hope for a home run. And I know this metaphor is a bit of a leap. It is undoubtedly easier to remain hopeful when it comes to sports than it is to remain hopeful when it comes to systemic change or new life. However, in order to be God's church in the world, I think we could take a lesson from this sports fan mentality. Because in order to be God's church in the world, I think we, like the daughters of Zelophehad, cannot give up on our team. We have to hold out for a win. We have to imagine what could be. From the moment I heard this story, I was a fan of the Zelophehad daughters. I feel like we would be friends if we knew each other in real life. As a young adult woman, it is hard not to love this text. For this is a text, the story of five brave sisters. Mala, Hogla, Noah, Tirza, and Milka say that five times fast. <laughs> they are in the wilderness with their people, and they have recently lost their dad. Now, losing a family member is always painful. Many of us know that pain. However, what makes this death particularly painful compared to our modern-day grief is the fact that with the death of their father, these five sisters also lose their home. You see, the text is written while the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness. And as they walk year after year, the people promise one another, when we get to the promised land, each family will get their own plot of land. A plot of land to raise children, to grow food, to build a home on. It sounds like that beautiful American dream until you realize that this promise is only for part of the population. You see, land was passed from male heir to male heir in ancient times. Land was never sold back then. It was only inherited and women never inherited anything. 
That means that land was passed down from father to son, and if you were a father that had five daughters and no sons, then when you died, your possessions and land would be given away elsewhere. So the sisters lose their dad, and with him they lose the promise of a home. They lose their security. They lose safety and economic opportunity. With him, they lose their chance at land to raise children, to grow food, and build a house. Now, knowing the context they were living in, it would have made a lot of sense if the sisters had just stuck together and toughed it out as best they could. The laws had been set in stone for years, and we know how hard it is to change something like that. However, instead of keeping quiet and going with the status quo, these five brave women go to Moses and do something unbelievable. The daughters of Zelophehad march up to the tent of meeting and ask to be treated like sons. In my mind, if this were a movie, this would be the pinnacle of the drama. The music would take a dramatic turn with the rhythm of the drum keeping track to the slow motion steps of the sisters as they moved toward the tent. The five sisters would have their arms linked at the elbow, holding on to one another, both in fear and in support. The camera might pan their feet, showing the sand kicking up behind them as they walk, and then pan to their faces to show their wind blown hair and their jaws clenched with conviction and maybe fear. Step by step, the sisters would walk up to the tent of meeting just as step by step, the members of the community would run to witness this crazy moment. Surely these girls weren't going to ask Moses for their father's land, will they? As the sisters draw near the tent of meeting, the camera would so slowly start to focus on who was there. First you would see Moses, and then Eleazar the priest, and then the leaders of the temple, and then, deep breath, the whole congregation. The text says that everybody and their mother is there to watch this go down. And if this was a movie, that's when the music would cut and the air would be still. And the sisters would look at one another and nod and the oldest would speak with tears in her eyes and say, our father was a good man. It is not fair that everything he had should be taken from us Please let us have a share. Don't take it all away. It surely sounds like movie-worthy drama, yeah. The sisters ask for their father's land, which was the same as asking to be valued in a society that had made it loud and clear that they were not. They risked their safety, They're standing in society and the approval of the authorities for this moment. It's an act that makes me think of Rosa refusing to get off the bus and Jesus saying, you let those little children come to me. 
It's unbelievably brave. However, what happened next is also pretty amazing. Moses goes to God to ask for advice, and in one of my all-time favorite verses in Scripture, God simply says to Moses, the women are right. <laughs> I'm sure God, being God, says this gracefully and patiently, but I also wonder if God has been waiting for Moses to ask this question. It almost sounds to me like God is saying, Moses, it's about dang time. Of course these women should get their father's land. And while we're on the subject, you actually need to change all of the laws so that daughters and sister can have that same access in the future. So that's what happens. Moses changes the laws. Because of these five brave sisters, for the first time in history, women are allowed to inherit their father's land alongside their brothers. It's the first step towards gender equality, and it would not have happened without a little bit of risk. The thing that strikes me the most about this text is that there is no precedent for what the daughters of Zelophehad have asked for. There is absolutely no reason that they should believe that Moses would ever grant them that land. They had no reason to believe that things would go over smoothly or that their present-day reality had a chance of changing. The challenges were big, and the odds were not in their favor. However, instead of assuming that things couldn't change, that the problem was too big, or that their voice wouldn't make a difference, they held on to some of that reckless hope, and they asked anyway. This hope would have made the daughters of Zelophehad excellent sports fans. But it also is what made them faithful followers of God. For at the core of this hope, the sisters of Zelophehad must have believed that if God is truly God, then the possibility of change and new life was and is always on the table. Friends, we could use that reminder. For it seems to me that maybe the first part of risking something big for something good is just being brave enough to imagine what could be. I met someone recently who, like the daughters of Zelophehad, shared that same prophetic ability to imagine the unseen. His name is Darren Babcock, and Darren is the founder and creator of Bonton Farms. I know many of you have heard of Bonton Farms. Our session has been there, the Garden Club, our children and our youth multiple times. It's a beautiful place. When I first moved to Dallas, I was curious to see if there were any urban community farms in the area, and I stumbled across Bonton Farms in a Google search. As I read, I learned that Bonton Farms is a community farm located in South Dallas in a neighborhood that has historically been overrun with poverty, crime, and drugs. Following World War II, the community became known as Bomb Town instead of Bonton, 
due to the frequent race-inspired house bombings that took place. It is still deeply segregated, and in that community, a mere 13 miles south of us, the rates of cancer, diabetes, and cardiovascular disease are twice the rates of this neighborhood. Before that farm, the people in Bonton had zero access to fresh food, a three-hour round-trip ride to the grocery store, and very few options for economic opportunity. However, that all began to change eight years ago. Darren Babcock, who was an, a white man in North Dallas, lost his wife in 2011. After struggling with his own addiction and grief, he decided he needed a fresh start. So Darren sold his house in Frisco and left his comfortable North Dallas life behind to start over somewhere new and he started over in Bonton. And as Darren made friends and built relationships, he began to realize that the people he loved around him were hurting due to a lack of fresh food. So Darren started a garden. I can't imagine that Darren could have known what was coming, coming. For what started out as a simple vegetable garden on an abandoned lot turned into a multi-acre farm with two locations and a fully functioning market. It is absolutely breathtaking to see what has become. So last spring, our session, the leadership body of this church, traveled to Bonton Farms for a meeting. We wanted to see what God was doing in that space. And while we were there, we had the privilege of meeting briefly with Darren. We gathered around him at the edge of the farm, and he told us stories. One of them, he said, was just a few months prior, he had been working in the garden, and he noticed a woman had pulled her car up beside the garden and parked. She got out by herself and began to weave through the rows of produce. And before long, Darren realized that she was weeping. She was standing in the middle of the garden, tears running down her face. So Darren took off his gloves and slowly walked over to this woman. He introduced himself and gently asked, ma'am, are you doing okay? She nodded, and through tear-stained eyes, she told him about her upbringing in Bonton. She told him how that plot used to be an abandoned lot. She pointed to the rows of zucchini bursting with life and said, this half used to be a dark alley at the end of the road where my mother would park her car. I would stay here while she sold drugs. And then she told Darren how she came of age to do the same and how it ruined her life. At the end, she paused and she looked him in the eye. She said, I have been gone for a long time. But I heard that something good was happening in Bonton. So I had to come see it for myself. I think what that woman was saying through those tears is that she never would have believed something good could have come out of that abandoned lot. 
She never would have believed that change and new life could overcome that dark alley in such a way. And I don't blame her. It is hard to imagine what could be when we are so used to seeing what already is. But I think that's why we need today's story. Our world is fluent in pessimism and familiar with doubt. Risking something big for something good has never been easy. So may we remember today that if five orphaned sisters can change the laws of Israel, and if new life can grow in a dying neighborhood, then God is still God, and we still have a job to do. So my prayer for us today is that we could all be a little bit more like those baseball fans who are endlessly hopeful. But instead of cheering for a team, I pray we cheer for this city. And my prayer for us today is that we could all be a little bit more like Darren, who was not blinded by the brokenness in front of him, but instead chose to believe that a struggling neighborhood could absolutely be a place for new life. And my prayer for us today is that we could all be a little bit more like the daughters of Zelophehad, who risked something big for something good, because they were not afraid to imagine what could be. So church, I dare you. I dare you to imagine what it would look like for South Dallas to no longer be pocketed with food deserts. I dare you to imagine the interfaith community rallying together around issues of poverty and racism in our city. Imagine our church gaining a reputation for being the first green certified religious group in the city or for being a congregation that welcomes more new faces than we have before. Imagine the news reporting stories about this church, not just because a tornado hits, but because we are doing so much in this city that people can't help but notice. I dare you to imagine it, because I believe that God is ready to walk alongside us as we roll up our sleeves in every new season. So may we be like the daughters of Zelophehad. May we dare to dream and dare to imagine what could be. For God is still God which means the possibility of new life was and is always on the table. May it be so. Pray with me. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Friends, we've been challenged, we've been inspired by the word proclaimed, so I invite you to respond by standing in body or spirit as we affirm what it is that we believe using the words found in your bulletin. Together, we trust in God, the Holy Spirit, everywhere the giver and renewer of life. The Spirit justifies us by grace through faith, sets us free to accept ourselves and to love God and neighbor and binds us together with all believers in the one body of Christ, the Church. 
the same Spirit who inspired the prophets and apostles, rules our faith and life in Christ through Scripture, engages us through the word proclaimed, claims us in the waters of baptism, feeds us with the bread of life and the cup of salvation, and calls people to all ministries of the church. prepare to pray for ourselves and for one another, I want to invite you to join me in visiting the care letters just outside the doors on the way to the atrium. Let your signature be a sign of hope to somebody in our community in need. There are prayers of joys and concerns listed on your bulletin, and I want to add two more for us this week. Please continue to hold in your heart Bob Anderson and his wife Jerry as Bob continues to be hospitalized this week. We also pray, continue to pray for the Bychok family, for the loss of Hank's brothers, James, Tommy, and sister-in-law, Irene, in a car accident this week. 
trusting in God's mercy, let us now go to God in prayer. Holy God, because you love and care for us so deeply, you show up in our lives through so many ways. You draw us back to you with a gift of breath in our lungs each morning. You inspire us by the beauty of your creation through the changing colors of the leaves and the majesty of the skies. You beckon us towards friendships and communities because we were never made to go through this world alone. And you awaken our souls through your gift of music and song, voices and instruments, melodies and harmonies. We are filled with gratitude for the many forms your love and grace comes to us each and every day. Help us to see it, to hear it, and let it transform our lives so we can better love our neighbors as you love us. Increase our compassion, O oh God, for the poor, for the families and individuals in our city who do not have safe homes and consistent meals on these cold nights. Give us the courage to invite someone new into our inner circle, someone whose background and experiences are far different than our own, so that our tables may better reflect your beloved kingdom. And humble us, merciful God. Give us the words to say that might reconcile a broken relationship. Remind us how our presence is more than enough so we can show up and be present to those who are in pain, to our loved ones healing from surgeries and illnesses, and to all those who carry the weight of grief and loss. In your infinite wisdom, you made us both fragile and powerful. Help us to not relinquish our power out of fear, but as members of Christ's body, give us the strength to risk your abundance in a world full of need. Use our power, our voices, to serve and care for the least of these, for those imprisoned, for the refugees and migrants displaced from their homes, to care for your creation and its life-giving resources, and to hold out with hope for those whom change in our system would mean everything. Gracious God, may we find you in unexpected places this week, trusting in the guidance of your spirit to knit us back to you, back to one another, and hear us now as we, as we join our voices together to pray as you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
Each week we take a moment to present our tithes and our offering, and, and each week we make a bold statement about who we are as Christians, as God's beloved community. We remind ourselves that our God is generous and this generosity is embedded within each one of us at the core of our being. Each year during this season of commit, we challenge ourselves to live faithfully as the body of Christ because we believe our collective generosity has the power to change the world. You're invited today to risk God's abundance and to make a bold statement that this community of faith is a priority for you and your family because we believe together that we are the hands and feet of Christ's love and mercy in this world. Next week is our final week of this commit season where we will ask you to present your commit cards during our times of worship together. There are cards in the pews and throughout the church. If you are ready today or if you anticipate being away next week, we will gladly receive your commitment cards this day. And after you commit and after you submit your cards, please fill out a leaf and place it on the tree in the atrium, a visible sign of God's presence in the world. Family of God, let us now return back to God, a portion of what has been entrusted to us as we receive our morning offering.
Gracious God, as we bring these offerings to you, we pray that our joy in the act of giving might draw others closer to you. Use these gifts. Take hold of our inheritances and our whole lives, for we believe you have created us for good and for the sake of this world. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. So go today and dare to dream. And as you do, may you love as if love is not a scarcity. 
May you hope like there is a better tomorrow. May you live like we belong to one another, because we do. And may you trust that nothing can separate you from the love of God. So in the name of the lover, the beloved, and love itself, go now in peace.